Hey, this is Josh Herrera, and I'm the pastor of Lighthouse Church North County, and this is our podcast. Wherever you are and however you are listening, I want to say thank you for tuning in to what we are teaching at Lighthouse. Our desire is that these messages would help you to fulfill your God-given potential. If this message impacts you, share it with someone you know. We are on this journey together, becoming more like Jesus, one day and one step at a time. Now here's today's message. We hope it blesses you. John chapter 10, verse 10. I'm going to read one verse, and we are going to unpack what God has for us. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. For the next few moments, I want to close out this series with the thought, the dangerous way of Jesus. The dangerous way of Jesus. Let me pray over you one last time. Father, we thank you for your word. It is anointed. It is life-changing. It has stood the test of time, and it continues, Father, to be relevant to every follower of you today. I pray now as we lean into your word, Father, that your, your presence would come and saturate this house in such a way that every heart and every mind is able to receive what you want to say. God, I just pray that as I speak to this audience, that you would speak to every individual, that you would give them a word that they need from you today here in this moment father so come and fill this place and in jesus name we pray amen clap your hands one last time everybody and you may be seated as we talk about the dangerous way of jesus let me ask you all a question have you ever been so sure about something in your life only to later realize that you might have had it wrong like like you were so sure about something and later you were like yeah i i think i had that wrong and it wasn't disingenuous and it wasn't malicious it was just you had it wrong let me tell you about a little bit about my childhood you see I grew up in a Pentecostal holiness church and what that means for those of you that are wondering that means we weren't allowed to do anything no I'm kidding I'm kidding it felt like that sometimes especially as a teenager but I grew up in the type of church where we had a lot of rules and regulations and one of those things that my mom so convinced me of was that if I went to a movie theater I was gonna go to hell I mean, she did a good job of convincing me of that. As a matter of fact, I would ask her, Mom, I want to go watch this movie. She would say, Son, what's going to happen when Jesus comes? And if he comes, you're in the movie theater, straight to hell. Like, like you, you are not going to heaven if he comes and you are in the middle of watching a movie. I could be watching The Land Before Time. That's how old I am. Uh, shout out to Littlefoot and the 80s babies in the room. But, like, I could be watching like, The Land Before Time, and my mom would be like, no, you can't go. Then later, as I began to read the scriptures for myself, I was like, hey, mom, you tricked me, and it worked. But I was so convinced, and later I realized that wasn't quite right. And the reason I lead with that is when we read John 10.10, 10, I think most of us has read that verse, and we've been led to believe that the thief or the enemy, depending on the version of your Bible that you're reading, when it says the thief comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy, we've been taught that that's Satan or the devil and that he's the one that's out to steal, to kill, and to destroy. But Jesus has come that we might have life 
and that we might have life to the full. And unfortunately, if you've been taught that and if you've been led to believe that, you've had it wrong. And I want to walk you through that and I want to show you how at times Jesus is misrepresented through the scriptures. So let me walk you through John 10.10 and what it really means. And I got to do that by backing up to verses 1 and 2. So let's read it together. Jesus says this, Very truly, I tell you Pharisees, Anyone who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate, a sheep pen is a place where they kept the sheep, okay? Just, just, I'm a farmer, so I know these things. No, I'm kidding. For those of you that know me, you know that's the last thing I am. But I just want to make sure we get the context here. He says, anyone who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate but climbs in by some other way is a thief and a robber. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. Let me unpack this together with you. First off, Jesus is talking to the Pharisees. Can you all say Pharisees? That's who he's talking to. That's who this is directed to. That's very important that you understand who Jesus is speaking to. The Pharisees is a movement in the time of Jesus that had heavy influence in the way that Judaism was followed. They were leaders in the synagogues, and they assumed the religious roles of leading the followers of Judaism. Jesus is talking to them, and then he drops this first revelation of a thief and a robber. Notice he says that a thief or a robber is someone who enters into the sheep pen without going through the gate. They're just climbing over the fence like we all did in junior high from time to time, just like entering through this side. Jesus says, that's a thief, that's a robber. Let's read on, verses 3 through 5. The gatekeeper opens up the gate for him, and the sheep listen to his voice. Now he's talking about a different group, not the people who enter through the sides, not the thieves and the robbers, but he's saying he opens the door for other people. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them, and his sheep follow him because they know his voice, but they will never recognize a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. So the gatekeeper will open the door for a shepherd. And I want you to see what's happening here. Jesus is saying that people are getting into the sheep pen one of two ways, okay? The thieves and robbers are jumping in without going through the gate, but the person who goes through the gate is a true shepherd. Can you all say a true shepherd? A true shepherd really goes through the gate. And because he's a shepherd, the sheep are going to listen to his voice. Because the shepherd came into the pen the right way, he went through the gate, he now has the authority to lead the sheep. Those that come in through the sides don't have the authority to lead the sheep. So the thieves and the robbers do not have that authority, and therefore the sheep will not listen to them. Now, right after Jesus said this, the Pharisees were left with questions. They were like, I don't understand what all of this means. Some of you have that look on your face right now. So I'm going to read to you the very next verse so that you can see that, that they were confused, and then Jesus has to hammer home the point. 10.6 says, Jesus used this figure of speech, but the Pharisees did not understand what he was telling them. So let's go to the next few verses. Therefore, Jesus said again, Verily, uh, very truly I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who have come before me 
are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. I am the gate, and whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. So who came before Jesus? The Pharisees. And Jesus said, all who came before me are thieves and robbers. Oh, so he's talking to them. So when he says the thieves and the robbers and then gets into John 10, 10 and says the thief has come but to steal, kill, and to destroy, he's not talking about the devil. What he's talking about are the religious leaders of his time. That's why you've been reading that verse wrong the whole time. You thought he was talking about the devil. He's talking about the religious leaders who misrepresented who Jesus was. The religious leaders got in the way of people seeing who Jesus was. You see, the religious people on the outside looked like they had everything going on, but on the inside they were dead. You see, what Jesus could do that the other people around them couldn't do was Jesus could see their hearts. Jesus could see the soul of a person. He knew that though they were putting on a front on the outside, on the inside they were dead. So Jesus is saying the thieves and the robbers are people who are manipulating the people of God. The thieves and the robbers were the people who used God for their own personal advancement. The thieves and the robbers were the people who had a form of godliness, but they denied the power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus said that these people are in the way of you experiencing the full life that he intended for you to live. And let me just propose this to you all. The people, the religious leaders of that time that were in the way that they were misrepresenting who Jesus was were under a spirit that's still at work today in 2023 misrepresenting to the lost who Jesus is. You see, there's a spirit that's trying to get people to not look at who Jesus really is. There's a spirit at work trying to get people to not see who Jesus is. And I think in 2023, where it was the religious misinformation, today it's cultural misinformation that's getting in the way of people seeing who Jesus is. So let me just say this. It's a point that I've made. They used to say we live in the information age, but now we have crossed over and we live in a different time. We live in the misinformation age. We live in the misinformation age. Because you guys all know the joke. I looked it up on the internet, so it must be true. Right? Why is that? Because there is so much misinformation, and there are people that are buying into misinformation. And, and, and I'm concerned that, that we're going to lose a generation simply because they bought into misinformation. Now, I've said this before. I'll say it again. Don't go to someone who does not know the Bible to try to teach you about what the Bible says. Sometimes someone is really good with a football and they try to speak on a subject. And they're like, ah, they, they, they must know what they're talking about. No, they don't, right? Like, like how many of you, if you needed surgery, would go to your landscaper? Absolutely not. Why? They've not been trained. They don't know. You would not go to them for that. But so many times we'll listen to any old influencer, celebrity, athlete, and listen to what they have to say based off of something they have no idea that they're talking about. That's the type of misinformation that I'm talking about. I get that they have a following. I get that they are influential. But if you want to know about God, you got to talk to people who have studied about God. You tracking with me, Lighthouse Church? And, and, and we, we do that. Why? So that we get the right information and that we are not misinformed. You see, because we have been made in the image of God and he is constantly trying to form us into his image. But when you get misinformation, you are being, dis, you are being deformed into something else that is not him. You tracking with me so far? 
So the culture has misrepresented who Jesus is. So what I want to do with the rest of my time together is give you three things that I think are so powerful as to who Jesus is and how it is countercultural to some of the things that you are hearing. But this is who he is. Don't let people misrepresent him and buy into a lie. Are you tracking with me so far? Y'all ready to dive into it? Here we go. Number one, Jesus is love. Write that down if you're taking notes. Number one, Jesus is love. Jesus is not hate. He does not propagate hate. Hate is not in him. Let's read 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 through 8. And it says, dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Where does love come from? comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. And I think what the culture is doing, it's doing a very good job of changing the definition of love. We know that love comes from God. And as a matter of fact, we know that the kind of love that we receive from God is what 1 Corinthians 13 calls a perfect love. Do y'all know that there can be an imperfect love? When 1 Corinthians 13 says that he is perfect love, it says that to let you know that there is imperfect love. And I'm concerned that imperfect love is being sold as a knockoff to perfect love. You know what I'm talking about? It's like that knockoff purse that you buy in the back alley somewhere. There's like this knockoff type of love called imperfect love, and people are buying into it hook, line, and sinker. Imperfect love says if you love me, you're going to accept me for every decision and choice that I make. That's an imperfect love. Do you want to know what a perfect love is? A perfect love says I love you so much that if I see you making decisions that are going to lead to your destruction, I'm going to stand in the way and I'm going to tell you, no, baby girl, don't do that thing. That's called perfect love. I love you enough to challenge you. I love you enough to call you up. I love you enough to not let you go down that path because that's a path of destruction. You tracking with me so far, Lighthouse Church? We see this in the life of the woman who was having an affair. We read this in the Bible. There was a woman who was having an affair, and they brought her to the feet of Jesus. The the Pharisees did, the thieves and the robbers. They brought her to the feet of Jesus, and they said, the law says we should kill this woman. What do you say we should do? And in that moment, Jesus said, let the first person um, who has never sinned throw the stone. You'll be the first one to throw the stone. One by one, they all dropped their rocks, and they walked away. And Jesus looked at that woman and said, where are your accusers now? That's perfect love. Perfect love. Because where are your accusers now? But watch what happens. And then he says, neither do I condemn you. And then this is what you got to get. This is what people conveniently leave off, all right? We want to stop there and says, well, Jesus doesn't condemn. But then he says, go and what? Sin no more. You see, perfect love says, I don't want to see you keep doing the things that you've been doing that has led to a cycle of destruction. I don't want those habits to take you to an early death. I don't want your lifestyle choices to lead you to despair and hopelessness. It's a perfect love that says, I love you enough to call you up out of that life that you're in. That is perfect love. And where we got to get it right, church, is there are too many Christians, none that attend this church, you guys are amazing, but there are too many Christians that try to change people through a message of hate, and that's never worked. That's never changed anybody. See, the scripture says that it's the goodness of God that leads people to repentance. It's the goodness, not the judgment, not the condemnation, not your shame, not your self-righteous attitude. It's the goodness of God. 
That's why we got to get out of the way of who Jesus is, get the people that are misrepresenting him out of the way, and let them see who Jesus is. Because I'm telling you, Lighthouse Church, Jesus is beautiful. And when the world sees him for who he is, they're going to want to go his way. See, so Jesus is love. Let me walk you through something else that we see about Jesus. Jesus was for the minority. Jesus was for the minority. Throughout the scriptures, we see Jesus sticking up for the person that was looked down upon. And there are three isms that Jesus actively pushed back against that I want to unpack in this bigger statement that Jesus was for the minority. Number one, okay, here's the first one. Jesus was against sexism. Jesus was against sexism, which means at that time, they treated men and women differently. Men and women were treated like a lesser person. Uh, women were treated um, um, subservient to men in their time. And Jesus came in and he leveled the playing field. See, don't let, it, don't, don't, let this, don't let people lie to you and try to misinform you and say that the church puts women down. That's misinformation. Correct information is that Jesus elevated women all throughout his ministry. Correct information is Jesus empowered women. Correct information is that if you look at the life of Jesus, here's what you're going to see. Women are constantly in the stories of Jesus. Women funded the ministry of Jesus. The women were the first to the tomb after Jesus' resurrection while all the other men were sleeping in and having their coffee in the morning. The women were there at the tomb first. There were female prophets. There's an apostle uh, who was a female as well. Throughout the Acts of the Apostles, women are leading the way in the house churches, discipling their children, financially supporting the missionary trips of the apostles. Can we give a big shout out to all the women who changed the world in the time of Jesus? And, 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 and Jesus gives us this example. I was thinking about this earlier that Paul um, was, Paul the apostle, the church planter, he planted all these churches in the region of Turkey, and then he handed the churches off to his disciple, whose name was Timothy. And, and what we know through Timothy is that he was discipled by his mama and his grandmama. If you read the letters, you'll realize that Paul said, your mom and your grandma, and we even get their names, Lois and Eunice. Think about this. A couple of women who discipled the bishop of all the churches in the Turkey region of the Bible. So much so, so great was their influence that they're named in the Bible. We know their names. A couple of women that came in and Jesus empowered. Jesus was against sexism. The second thing, Jesus was against racism. Jesus was against racism. There, the climate of Jesus' day was a very racist environment. And particularly in Judaism, if you were a Gentile, non-Jew, they just looked down on you. And if you were Jew mixed with Gentile, you had it even worse. You were considered a half-breed, and they actively looked down on people who, who were not of their people group. And so racism was rampant in the time of Jesus, and Jesus came in and leveled the playing field. And if you look at the people that he allowed around him, Jesus was against racism. You would see him healing people that were of his people group and outside of his people group. You would see Jesus challenging the hearts of the apostles because even in Jesus' tribe of 12 men that followed him, they were a little racist. 
They were a little racist. And he pushed them on it. And he prodded them on it. And he poked them on it. I think this is exemplified in the story where there was a woman who came to Jesus who was outside of his people group. And she was desperate for her daughter to be healed. And Jesus tested this woman. And she came to him and he essentially called her a dog and said, I'm not going to heal your daughter. And in that moment, the disciples were all clapping like, you tell her, Jesus. And then this woman says, but I believe you can still heal my daughter. What she says, I paraphrase it, but what she said was, but even the dogs eat the scraps that fall off the master's table. And then Jesus said, I've never seen this type of faith before. Who did he say that about? Someone outside his people group. And again, it made it into our Bible. And that, that was just a test to reveal the hearts of all the people around him at that time. And he said in that moment, I am no distinguisher of race. We're all equal in his eyes. Here's the third thing. Jesus was against classism. Jesus was against classism. You see, the in their time, the rich hated the poor and the poor hated the rich. They, they, if you look in the Bible, you'll see that there was a lot of contempt from, from people who are in different social classes. And classism is just, you know, financially where people fall. And there was a lot of disdain and distrust for people outside your social status. And Jesus came in and leveled the playing field. Look no further than his circle. You know, Matthew was a tax collector. Tax collectors were ballers in the time of Jesus. These were rich people. These were people that had resources. And Jesus said, come and follow me. But at the same time, he called, you know, Simon the Zealot. At the same time, he had fishermen. At the same time, he just like grabbed anyone that would come alongside him. It didn't matter if they were rich or they didn't have money. Jesus leveled the playing field. He was against racism. He was against sexism. He was against classism. And then his later, later the apostle Paul, in one single sentence, reiterate all that Jesus was for. I love reading this. Galatians 3.28 in one sentence, one writing of the pen, listen to what Paul says. He says, there is neither Jew nor Gentile. He's talking about race. There is neither slave nor free. He's talking about your social status. There is neither male and female. He's talking about sex. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. Come on, shout out to the apostle Paul for saying, doesn't matter your race, doesn't matter your gender. Okay? It doesn't matter your social status. We are all one in Christ Jesus. And, and this is why we're the type of church that we are because we really believe that we can be a multicultural church. We really believe we can be a multi-generational church. We really believe that when you come to church on Sunday, there can be doctors sitting next to someone that might be on unemployment. There can be attorneys sitting next to someone who might have just gone out of jail a couple of months ago. There should be people who maybe were in rival gangs and one wears blue and one wears red. But on Sunday, we can all sit together because we are sons of the Most High God. He is our Father. He unites us and we're pushing back against the cultural norm. You see, I deal with this. I'm, I'm going to be a little transparent and vulnerable with some of you here. But as a third-generation Hispanic, I've dealt with this so many times. I'll walk into a room with other pastors, and they immediately assume, you're Hispanic? You must pastor a bunch of Mexicans. That's some of the stuff I deal with all the time. And I let them know, no, we're multi-ethnic. We're multi-generational. We've got every single color in our church, and we're going to keep on doing that because we want Lighthouse to look like when you walk in. We want Lighthouse to look like heaven where you have every color, you have multi-generation, and we're all worshiping together. We're, pu we're pushing back against a church that is homogenous. 
Everyone's the same, all the same flavor, all the same taste. No, 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 we want this to look like a little slice of heaven right here in Vista. How many believe that can happen, Lighthouse Church? I said, how many believe that can really happen? How many know we're better together? Absolutely, we are better together. Let me go to the last thing here. Jesus lived to make a difference. Jesus lived to make a difference. While the religious leaders of Jesus' day sought to promote themselves and advance their agenda, Jesus truly lived to make a difference. Let me tell you this, Lighthouse. You cannot make a difference and play it safe. And I have to say this because sometimes we want to water down what we believe about Jesus to appease our coworkers, to appease our community, to not offend our neighbors. Sometimes we want to water down what we believe about Jesus just because we want everyone to like us. And as I've said before, if you want everyone to like you, you have to go and sell ice cream. Because when you follow Jesus, not everyone is going to like you. They're just not. Can I, can I show you where it says this in the Bible? Jesus is talking. He says this in John 15, 18. If the world hates you, keep in mind, it hated me first. Keep in mind. It hated me first. And so Jesus lived to make a difference, and you're never going to make a difference by playing it safe, especially if you're just trying to blend in with everyone else. There will be times. Now, listen, let me just say, before I move on to that, let me just say this. We don't try to stick out just for the sake of sticking out. We're not actively trying to go pick a fight. That's not what we do. But there will be times when your values will be tested, and you have got to stand for what you believe in. I thought I'd get a better amen than that. There will be times when culture is going to go against your grain and you have to stand and say, yeah, I don't believe that, but let me tell you what I believe. I don't believe that, and this is why I believe this to be a better way. Don't mean you get nasty with somebody. Absolutely not. I mean, I know sometimes you get some folks just looking to pick a fight, you know, like you're saved but not that saved, you know. It's like just looking for someone to disagree with you on something. No, we're not going to go there. That's not who we are. But we are going to represent absolutely who Jesus is. And just let me tell you, there will be times where you will be misunderstood. But you have to stand true to who Jesus is. I was reading Daniel earlier this week, and it's such a powerful uh, book of the Bible to read. I encourage you, if, if, you're, if you're looking for greater study, it's specifically in this area. Go read the book of Daniel. Read the first 10 chapters. You're going to fall in love with this young man named Daniel, and then you'll learn the story of his, his, um, his countrymen, uh, Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego, how these uh, four Hebrew boys, they, they stood on the values of God. And even while they were being trained into the culture of Babylon, and even though Babylon tried to whitewash their, 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 Jew, their Jewish belief system, they stood true to the worship of Yahweh and they thrived. Let me tell you, you can thrive and still follow Jesus. You can absolutely thrive by following Jesus. And so, you know, I, I think that, as I said a minute ago, and I'm coming to a close with this, there's so much misinformation out there. And, and, and where I worry about this is that I think that a lot of our young people have been fed so much misinformation. I mean, sometimes I, have a t I talk to young people and they make it seem like history started in 1950. <laughs> It's like, I know TikTok only goes back that far, but you do know that there's, like, greater history beyond that. It's like, well, let's go to the 1950. No, 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 let's go, let's go a little deeper than that. And I'm just concerned that we've got a generation of young people that are being misinformed. 
They are being deformed by the culture rather than being formed by the image of God. And so I, I see this, and, 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 and I want you to change the world. I just want you to do it the Jesus way. We're going to follow his way because his way is better. But I said this. I wrote this down. I want to make sure I get this right. I'm very concerned that the next generation is actively being indoctrinated with misinformation. I'm very concerned about that. But do you want to know where I'm more concerned? Hear me, mom and dads. I'm more concerned that the parents in this room are sitting on the sidelines while all of this is happening. That's where I'm more concerned. That our parents are sitting on the sidelines while their kid is being indoctrinated with misinformation. Being a lie masqueraded as the truth. Earlier today, we had a, a child dedication, and I spoke to the father because he has a young boy. Well, baby at this point in time, but eventually he'll be a young boy and eventually a young man and eventually he'll become a man. And I told him, I said, you got a great responsibility because masculinity and manhood has been misrepresented. It is under attack. The things that they are doing with what biblical manhood and masculinity is, it's a tragic thing that's happening to it. But here's what we do. You don't see me parading down Vista Way with a sign shouting for the rights. No, no, you know what I'm going to do? I'm just going to disciple my son. I'm going to show him what it means to be a man of God. And if we have more parents to do that, just disciple your children. I'm telling you, you can make a difference just by starting in your home. You can make a huge difference just by getting active in the life of your children. Jesus said, they're going to hate you, but they hated me first. And, and, and there are going to be times when what we believe goes against the stream of culture and the stream of the world. Now, I want to be careful as I give you some of that because I think that we have it really good in the country that we live in. I really do. Sometimes, sometimes Americans lack context, especially some Christians that felt like, we're being persecuted. And I'm like, no, go to China. That's persecution. Go to the Middle East and be a Christian. That's persecution. I mean, you're just mad over here because some law doesn't go in doesn't align with your values. That's not persecution. Chill out, okay? <laughs> Relax. Have a cup of coffee and chill by the fireplace. You're going to be all right, Christian. But I will say culture is shifting. I will say culture is shifting. And, and, and when it shifts, you got to be careful that you don't shift away from God's word. Don't shift away from God's word. Stay true to his word. Stay true to Jesus. I'm telling you, the, the, the world's going to go sideways. The culture is going to go in a different direction. But if you stay true to God's word and if you stay true to the person of Jesus, you're going to see that you're going to live the type of life that he always wanted you to live. What he just said a minute ago, I've come that you might have life and that you might have an abundant life. Come on, how many want to live an abundant life in this room right now? You want to live an abundant life. I want, I want to live not just a, as a young kid say, I don't want to live a midlife. I want to live an abundant life. I, w- I want my life to make a difference. I want my life to matter. I want to see God do incredible things in and through my generation. I want to see God do incredible things in the life of my three boys. I want to see God do incredible things in the life of Lighthouse Church. I believe for that. I believe for that. But I'm going to stay the course. We're going to follow the ways of Jesus because the ways of Jesus are better than the ways of the world. That's the best thing you can do. I want to pray with you right there where you're at. And we're just going to let the Holy Spirit just do what he wants to do right now. With every head bow and every eye closed. Father, I thank you, Lord God, for every person that is here. Thank you, Father, for your presence that is also here with us. 
If this message has blessed your life, I want to encourage you to share this message with others or go online to our website and consider making a donation so that we can continue bringing you content just like today's message. God bless you.